1: moment in the in the Hebrew calendar. I'm not talking about Arab Election Day. Um, I'm talking about Kristallnacht, which is actually um, just right around the corner, the anniversary of Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, November 9th through 10th, which of course um, has been marked as the onslaught of of the Holocaust. Um, But it really was one of the one of the largest pogroms against the Jewish community in Eastern Europe and in Berlin. Um, and all over Germany, and so it's that uh, ethos that has led the the led us to this discussion topic tonight. Um, though it's unfortunately um, unfortunately still pretty poignant um, uh, as we think of our current uh, our current um, milieu, and we might get to that a little bit later. But um, the notion uh, of spiritual resistance. Is one that's very dear uh, to my heart. But before I I go into I go further, when I say resistance, you think, what? Guns, bullets. Guns, bullets. What else? What did you say? Fighting? 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 Right. We think of the partisans. We think of the of the we think of the armed of the armed resistance of of the Warsaw Ghetto uprising or maybe in Vilna. But what is spiritual resistance? Okay, that's interesting. Maybe like civil dis- civil disobedience. But, um, but well, also
2: making yeah. sure that we don't give up what we have. Resistance of, you know, like when the people in the barracks continue to celebrate Hanukkah. Right. And continue to yeah. do the prayers and that kind of thing. So
1: stuff. a certain type of engagement with life. um Spiritual. Is, yeah, spiritual, whatever spiritual means. Although we're going to ta- we're going to tackle that. Um, what my my theory is to resist something, you have to it, it will resist. It, you have to be it's a it's an oppositional framework, right? And so the framework that uh, these sources have been outlined is that it's the Jewish spiritual resistant towards God on the one hand we can talk about what that might mean. What does that mean to resist God, to spiritually resist God? Um, we'll see that in the first couple of source sources. Or, and this is the more obvious target, right? The Nazis, the outside party that has been the, you know, the, f- the physical human entity that has been the, the oppressor, as it were. And it's really those two domains that we're going to see this idea of spiritual resistance play out. In the spirit, in the God domain, and then also towards, towards Nazis indeed, uh, with these th- four categories of rage, redemption, living, and creativity. The, first, the best way to get a sense of it, though, is to dive right in, and we're going to see the first source, which comes from the Warsaw Ghetto, from the Piusetzner uh, Rebbe. The Piusetzner Rebbe also known as the Eish Kodesh, was a, was a prolific writer. Um, and he served really as the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto once the ghetto was formed. He led schools um, and hosted, hosted a, a shul there where he would get, deliver sermons. And so his collection was found after the war. Um, and this particular collection is a compilation of wartime speeches. His drashod, his, his his Saturday... Morning lectures or Friday night lectures, and the Hebrew is on top and the English is on the bottom. Although it was actually written in Yiddish and then later translated to Hebrew. Is that, can I have a volunteer to read it? From it is indeed incredible.
3: Yeah. It is indeed incredible that the world exists after so many screams. We are told that regarding the ten martyrs, the angels cried, "Is this the Torah, and is this its reward?" Whereupon upon a voice answered from heaven if I hear another sound I will turn the world back to prim- primordial water but now innocent children, pure angels as oh. of course, the saintly of Israel are killed and slaughtered just because they are Jews who are greater than angels they fill the entire space of the universe with these cries and the world does not turn back to water but remains in place As if, if, God forbid, he remained untouched. Some
1: reactions or questions just around that initial text? What is Rebconimus Kalman referring to first? The ten martyrs? Ten martyrs we read about in Yom Kippur, in the Yom Kippur Kippur liturgy. Uh, The ten martyrs of Rabbi Akiva, 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 right, and his colleagues, right, who were tortured by uh, by the Romans, and we're told that the angels cried out in that moment. Is this the Torah? And this is reward. Whereupon a voice apparently inserts itself from heaven and says, "If I hear another sound, I will turn the world back to water." Which implies what? Destroy it. Like, like yeah, but also a certain sense of don't question my judgment, right? Or don't uh, at least God. God in, in response to the question, but it's also. You know, this is my master plan, as it were. But now, what is, the Ish Kodesh continues. Right now, it's not just the the rabbis, it's children. Children, Children, right? Pure angels, greater than angels. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only does the world not turn back to water, but where's God in this piece? You have to imagine, right, this is such a, It's the question, right? That's the question that the Esh Kodesh poses. Where is, right, which is that classic question, right, of where is God? Which to us, we might, we, we take, for, we might take for granted now in the generation post, post the Shoah we, and have heard so many of survivors' uh, testimonies. We've, we've heard the, the, we carry their stories now with us. But to try and imagine just for a moment A Jew living in the Warsaw Ghetto, see living in the in the climate that you're living in, to feel and then to hear your rabbi verbalize these fears must be such. What a powerful um, charge! What a powerful, almost condemnation of of God.
4: But it's great despair. I mean, I would be, you know, just very, very. I would be devastated saying,
1: there's no hope, there's, there's nobody listening, there's nobody hearing, is what
2: I'm reading. Do other people f- here feel the despair? Yeah, so the question yeah, is, why, why, isn't God, why, uh, why isn't God doing something to stop?
1: It seems to be the question, right? It, it, it's the, we're in the same situation, if not a worse situation than we Jews have been in for thousands of years. Where is God? I think I think though what my, I bring it here not to offer an answer to that unanswerable question, right? Ellie Wiesel would famously say, "When will you understand that a beautiful um, answer is meaningless?" Right? Wiesel believed in the power of questions. It's not really to provide answers to those questions because there aren't any, but it's merely to show us an example of this type of spiritual resistance, which is to say, you can imagine being a Jew and be, suffering to the, the horrendous extent that one might have been, we can hypothesize, but then to hear your spiritual leader reflect back those concerns and reflect them back, not just as his and yours, but as inherent in the tradition, it's a powerful, uh, it's almost as if you're putting God on trial, right? You're killed and God accountable. Um, and that's reflected really in this second source, which is a fictional play that we, Elie Wiesel wrote, but he based it off of an actual encounter that he saw while in Auschwitz, um, the play takes place after a pogrom in the 1600s after a violent pogrom has taken place around Purim night but, but it was Wiesel claims to have witnessed this in the barracks of, of Auschwitz and so um, we'll need two readers for this uh, for this portion okay we have a bearish, be a bearish and you'll be a Sam
5: you want to leave him out turn him into a neutral bystander Would a father stand by quietly, silently, and watch his children being slaughtered? By whom? By his other children. All right, by his other children. Would he not interfere? Should he not? You are using images. Let me add mine. When human beings kill one another, where is God to be found? You see him among the killers. I find him among the victims. He, a victim, a victim is powerless. Is he powerless? He is almighty, isn't he? He could use his might to save the victims, but he doesn't. So on whose side is he? Could the killer kill without his blessing, without his complicity? Are you suggesting that the Almighty is on the side of the killer? He is not on the side of the victim. How do you know? Who told you? The killers told me. They told the victims. They always do. They always say loud and clear that they kill in the name of God. Did the victims tell you? No, then how do you know? Since when do you take the killer's word for granted? Since when do you place your faith in them? Are they efficient killers, but poor witnesses? You would like to hear the victims, so would I, but they do not talk. They cannot come to the witness stand. They're dead, you hear me? The witnesses for the prosecution are the dead. All of them, I could call them, summon them a thousand times. They would not appear here before you. They are not accustomed to taking a walk outside, and surely not on, and surely not on V. We want to know where they are at the cemetery, at the bottom of mass graves. I implore the court to consider their absence as the weightiest of proofs and the heaviest of accusations. They are witnesses, your honor, invisible and silent witnesses, but still witnesses. Let their testimony enter your conscience and your memory. Let their premature, unjust deaths turn into an outcry, so forceful that it will make the universe tremble with fear and remorse.
1: By Elie Wiesel. What right.
3: year was this?
1: Well, that, that's, the, that's, that's the setting of the, of the play. But he wrote... He, well, no, he claims to have witnessed an actual encounter, an a, this actual trial take place in in Auschwitz but he fictionalizes it in a play that he wrote in the I think it was the 70s or so the, the story continues god is found anyone want to take a guess guilty <laughs> guilty and then the way that the story ends is okay it's now time to go davin marif right <laughs> which is it's time to go pray the evening prayers it's a fascinating tension right it 's a, it's a, it's a stark dissonance, but this too, right, is a model of spiritual resistance where you 're quite literally putting god on on trial, and you can imagine having quite a, a, a litany of, of examples and cases that you might choose from just the mere engagement i'm positing with God with that spiritual power is a way is a way of of staying alive, as a way of staying engaged with your current uh, circumstance. It's coming from a, ra- a from a from an, from a raging place, from an anger, from a sense of, of lack of justice in the world. But it's still engaging very much with the reality um, that that these Jews were experiencing. So I'm um, interested. Uh,
3: For A. Musel has written a lot, spoken a lot, and all that Does he go back? To this theme and talking about how God is guilty and God um, and God didn't do any could have done something and didn't does he talk does he talk
1: about that Elie Wiesel writes quite a bit about uh, about his own struggle with faith you know in the time of of the Shoah during the time of in in, in Auschwitz and it's a, it's an unimaginable um, circumstance but. And he, and he shifts, right? He becomes, this, he becomes the spokesperson for the Jewish people in many ways afterwards. And, um, and he himself was raised in a religious context and, and background. But um, I'm using this particular piece of Wiesel not necessarily as an example of his, of his faith or piety, but rather his doubt and his questioning. And I'm saying that his, that just the, his, his very doubt and his questioning is a type of spiritual um, engagement or resistance in and of itself.
4: I'm having trouble with the word resistance. Sure. So it, it's, you know, so I guess I've never thought about spiritual resistance, I, although um, I think it was, Bruno you know, um, Benelheim who talked about his, about choices, not sure. resistance, and his choice every morning was to he put his left shoe on or his right shoe, and sure. that's, that was his so would you categorize that as
1: Absolutely. We're going to get to that when we get to the category of, of living. right Right now we're in the category of rage and the theory is that even feeling rage, whether it's towards God or and certainly towards towards the Nazis, but even that the spiritual like dissatisfaction that one feels with the status quo, that in and of itself is a form of spiritual resistance. Maybe it's exemplified in a rabbi's fiery speech on a Shabbat day to evoke feeling maybe it's it's uh, actualized in the actual trial of God or maybe it's actualized in prayer which is these next couple of sources right they might that might be easier um, entry point into this idea of spiritual resistance this next pour, this next prayer is a memorial prayer that's becomes codified in in um, in Jewish prayer books and it comes from around to the time of the Crusades Father of mercy who dwells on high, in his great mercy will remember the compassion, the pious, the upright, the innocent, the holy communities who lay down their lives for the sanctification of his name, Kedushat Hashem. They were loved and pleasant in their lives and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions to carry out the will of their maker and the desire of their, of their steadfast God. May our Lord remember them for good together with other righteous of the world. And may he redress the spilled blood of his servants, as is written in the Torah of Moses, the man of God. O nations, make his people rejoice, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will retaliate against his enemies and appease his land and his people. And through your servants, the prophets, it is written, though who I forgive their bloodshed, I shall not forgive, as God dwells in Zion. Right? It goes on. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let it be known among the nations in our sight that you avenge the spilled blood of your servants. Uh, this this if you're a a jew live it right where the our context is World War two our context is that of immense powerlessness seeming or seeming powerlessness right of the jew in Warsaw or Krakow or wherever to even recite those words might seem hypocritical, might seem you know impossible or dissonant, but my argument is that it's actually part of a of a movement of spiritual spiritual resistance. That is to say, right, just as much as, as the choice to which, who am I going to put on is an act of defiance, so is this. To pray, to, certainly to pray, but is, this, is the God of Israel right now exacting spilled blood for the murdered children? Certainly not. That's not the reality that the Jews were experiencing in, in the ghettos and the camps. So you even enter into that type of mindset we might see as a type of like mental gymnastics, but I'm wondering if we can start to view as not just as mental gymnastics or despair, but actual one of defiance, if that makes sense. We say these words now, right? And the, to, for some of us, they might resonate, but, but more often than not, they, might, they, they seem out of place, right? At the end of our Satyrs we say, shvokha mascha, right? Pour out your wrath. Again, some, uh, a piece that comes from the Middle Ages, in its context, we can certainly understand its place. But even in the 19, right in the 1930s, the 1940s, right, the Warsaw Ghetto uprising took place on does anybody know? Passover, Passover Eve. Eve. Passover Eve. Right? It was a whole new reframing of what the Passover story might look like, of who the Egyptians were, of who Pharaoh might have been. The question is, can we imagine what in living with the liturgy might have felt to such an extent that it doesn't just feel like, oh, it's what we do when we do Jewish, right? When we show up in synagogue or when we say the various blessings, but it's actually a reflection of our lived, our lived experience.
3: Yeah. Some came, some because they survived became more religious, and a lot because of what happened became less religious. I I, have both sides.
6: With with my experience, I have seen it only go one way. Yeah. It wasn't until they had a child or a grandchild that they could. Yeah. Or or.
1: Certainly, certainly. Though well, I think you know of those survivors, I think people um, would off, They would also say that right. Their their greatest um, vengeance, or their greatest you know response to the horrors that they endured, was to continue living, right? Which is, which is what we're talking about. This very idea of of praying of engaging in a relationship with one's Judaism, of choice of, of, I will put on a kippah today, or which shoe am I going to put on first? Those tiny, those tiny acts are a reflection of this type of spiritual, um, this spiritual resistance. They didn't think it was God that
6: was helping them. They thought it was the other people in the barracks.
1: And the camps. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really where we shift now, right? Because we've, we've up until now, we've been focusing the, the object of the spiritual resistance towards God, towards this, like, greater spirit. But now we're going to bring it back to the people in the neighborhood, as it were. And we'll see these. The, the next source comes from Elie Wiesel, uh, again from Wiesel. And this is from an introduction to a song collection that my grandparents, that my grandmother actually uh, compiled of Yiddish um, Songs that were written and in some cases performed during uh, during the Shoah. These this are coming from people who were in many cases not religious, right? They might have come from religious up upbringings, but that's not their, that was not that was certainly not their uh, milieu in the time of the war. We'll begin from In Cheder long ago. We learn. I'm, I'm in the middle on page four. A new reader.
4: Long ago we learned, and then Moses sang, and so Moses, our teacher, and the children of Israel, while standing by the sea, began to sing. Since the time the Jewish song has accompanied the history of the Jewish people. Everything is said in song, song of songs, and psalms, hymns, and lamentations, longing and survival, songs of joy, songs of sorrow, songs of mourning. The expression of the soul of our people is their song, more correctly, is Jews on the way to the slaughter chambers, and they sang. They dreamed about redemption and sang. Rocking their children, they allowed themselves to be carried away by the magic of old, new melodies. Mighty is the melody, eternal is the song. The temple of song is close to the throne of glory. Was the heart heavy? Have the eyes become swollen with tears? The answer was a simple one. One sang in order to fall into ecstasy. Then one sang with ecstasy. Forgotten was the punishment of exile. On the wings of song, one soared high, high, most high, if not still higher. Even in the dark years of devastation, Jews found strength and inspiration to impart their spirit, their despair, their heroism in Jewish song. Read this collection, no listen to its sounds, and you will suddenly apprehend life behind the ghetto gates. Despairing mothers rocking their dying children, forsaken homes, Moments of incomprehensible hope, heart-rendering variations of remembered pastoral-like motifs. How does one lull to sleep a little orphan? One tells him, I have seen your father running under hails of stone, flying over fields, there echoed his his desolated moan. How does one comfort Jews going to their death? One reminds them that I believe, I believe with complete faith is the foundation of Jewishness. Messiah has been delayed, but come he will. Okay. Muttel from the Warsaw Ghetto, and from Vind- Wittemberg from Vilna, Babi Yar and Treblinka. the silence of Hunar, the red skies over the infinite graveyard of European Jewry. Even history is understood, more fully comprehended through the power of Jewish song. Under the little green pool Polish trees, no more at play or moysheke, shlomichneke. Listen to the poem and you will feel the tragedy. That it was ours more than turning the pages of books filled with dry statistics or listening to sentimental speeches. This collection is therefore a most important contribution to everything that has a connection with Jewish consciousness. It should be found in every Jewish home, not because it is an obligation to cry, but because it is a duty to sing, because this is the way they taught us in Haida.
1: Az Yashir Moshe
4: in the future tense, meaning not then did Moses sing but then shall he sing. The secret of the Jewish song is found in this. Thanks to it, the past is tied to the future. The ordinary week with, with Sabbath, Kaddish with hope. If Jews amid collapsing buildings sang out their sorrow and their stubbornness, can we allow ourselves to be deaf to their song?
1: This is, yeah, these are Ruzel's words. Over, the, over a collection of songs, some of which I'll, I'll share with you now and, and sing, that were written and in some cases performed uh, in ghettos, in concentration camps. Not because it is our obligation, what does he say? Not because it is our obligation to cry, but because it is a duty to sing. The, these songs aren't simply um, nostalgic, um, you know, this nostalgic remember when's, right there, but they serve as sort of living portholes to uh, to to a Jewish experience, to a, uh, one that w- that unfortunately is not uh, so ancient. That right to imagine creating art at the edge of the abyss is preposterous. Because you're waiting for you don't know where your next meal will come from. You don't know if you will have a next meal. But still, to sing then, to to create, is in of itself an act of spiritual uh, defiance, and so and that's some of what some of the, these next couple of songs I think really uh, they 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 best depict. The, this first one is comes from the Vilna Ghetto, and it was written by um, a partisan and a poet named Leib Rosenthal. Uh, and the ghetto, the ghettos were these bustling communities. There were, as much as the people were 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 scrunched into you know unlivable living conditions, they still had theaters and they had schools and they had community centers. And so in the Vilna the Vilna ghetto also had a um, theatrical, I guess, performance space where this song was was first was was performed. On to, to us. To, for, so, we're going to get to that, actually, in, in a little bit of how we have so much of this material. Yes, this is on page five. It's in English here. I'm going to sing it to you in, in Yiddish, but it, the song is, in, is, is translated in English here on page five. Um, Lee Rosenthal did not survive, right? But his sister, who would perform this song as a child in the ghetto, did. So that's just, that's one, that's one avenue of, of remembrance of how we have this song. But uh, the English goes, hey, buy my cigarettes. Yisraelik is the name of this song, right? It's a diminutive of, of Yisrael, of little, little Israel, right? Hey, buy my cigarettes, get your saccharine here. Merchandise is worth little nowadays. A life for a nickel, a crummy cent is what I earn. The ghetto hand- handler, have you heard of me? I'm called Yisraelik, I'm that kid from the ghetto. I'm called Yisraelik, a wild and reckless type of youth. And though I'm left with absolutely nothing, I still carry on with a whistle and with my song. Nu kofsche papyrosen, nu she' sacharin, geworden is <laughs> Heinz Schreude billig wert, alleben groschen. A prote von ghetto handle hot i doch het. Chaisius rolick, I'm called Yisrolick. Rolik bin Kind von ghetto. Chaisius rolick, a hefke de For those who know Hebrew, they'll you'll hear hefke, right? Hefke de keyum. Chotz va bliden netto der lang ich als noch. As wische und azum. A coat without a collar, shorts made from a sack, I've got galoshes, I just, I ain't got the shoes. And whoever finds this funny, whoever dares to laugh, I'll show them what I'm made of. I'm called Yisrolek. I'm the kid from the ghetto. Don't think I was born out here. the On these abandoned uh, homeless streets, I once had a father and a mother, I've lost them both, don't make fun of it, and was left alone uh, in the field like like the wind, I'm called Yisraelik. and it's only when no one's looking, that I wipe quietly you got up, a tear from my eye, but it's from my sadness, better not to speak of it, Why remind yourself and make the heart heavy? If you have to imagine a 12-year-old girl singing these songs um, in the Vilna in the Vilna Ghetto, or this song, right by um, Hirsch Glick, who was also a member of the Vilna Jewish Partisans and also a poet. And he wrote this song after Witka Kempner, was a partisan, blew up the, a German convoy of trucks. It was the first successful sabotage act against the Nazis by the Vilna Jewish partisans. And he memorializes that moment uh, in a song um, called Still die Nacht. It's in the, I'm skipping the poem, we'll come back to it if we have time, at the bottom of page six. Still die Nacht ist euch Still the night is is full of stars Und der Frost hat stark gebrannt and the frost burned us Ziggedankst du wie dich gelernt halt'n a in die hand you remember how i how, how i once taught you to hold a revolver in your hands Amoy, da pelzol und habert Un hat in hand fest an agun, a girl wearing a sheepskin and a beret, and holds a gun in her hand. A moid metasame with a face as smooth as velvet, he tobdem soin as caravan, keeps watch of the enemy's caravan. Git silt, geschossen un get offn, clean in cleaning kepistoil. Aim shot and right on target. Her little pistol managed to stop a car packed with ammunition with just one bullet. At dawn, she creeps out of the woodlands with snowy garlands in her hair, encouraged by this little victory for for new and freer generations. Fatog. Von Waldaräus gekrochen, mit Schnee auf die Haar, gemutigt von kleinen Fahr uns unsern einem freien Dor, gemutigt von kleinen Königsochen. It's a song by, by Hirschklick. Somber, right? But also also hopeful. Right? It's telling a story of of a fellow partisan, a fellow a fellow uh warrior, but translates it into poetry. That it lives law, lo- right? We, we the the ghetto was not. Full of Facebook and Instagram, right? This is how stories were shared, the, through um, through songs that would then get sung in the forests and in the camps, as a way of of sure of uh, you know countering the the dying morale, but also perhaps at showing a different possibility of what life might be, right? Not only of of fighting, but of 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 singing.
0: Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning.
1: Next, the poem that that we skipped over comes from uh, a refugee by the name of Herman Goldfarb. Who lived in Shanghai, China during uh, the war period, which is where my grandfather spent uh, the war years. He fled Warsaw when he was uh, 18, and um, his parents and family were, were perished by, by the hands of the Nazis. But he managed to receive a visa from the Japanese diplomat Sugihara and spent the war years in, in Shanghai, where there was a large um, Jewish uh, concentration there. And so this is this comes. Um, From a collection of poems that Goldfarb uh, wrote. Does someone want to read it? We're back on page six now. Wander Jew. Yeah. The last paragraph of "Open Your Eyes" at last, new world that's civilized. Release us from the suffering vast. Bring us the calm we need. The poem might feel, right, depressing and dark, especially if you think of the context in which he's writing. Right, A band left. Uh, he's away from his family and away from uh, his home. But I'm wondering if even in that exploration, in, in that expression rather of his experience. Right and then, pivoting towards the end with a charge to humanity, open your eyes at last, O oh, civilized world. is that not also a statement of spiritual defiance where it's an accept in, in certain ways it's an acceptance of of the reality of of the Jews' struggle in the world, but also still a charge that things needn't be this way necessarily that's what we saw with Hirsch Glick's song with um with with still the night, right? With still the night, which tells the story of of Witka Kempner. That was how people learnt of Witka Kempner's heroic act. But a later song, um, you know, by Hirschglick, which became the rallying anthem of the underground, the Partisans' hymn, um, which I have in here. We, we'll get to later. Became like that type of of song that was sung. All over, not just in you know in one particular localized area, but traveled through the camps and through different through forests.
2: This this sort of became the continuation of the Torah Shavuot. You know, that was the the writing of that time. time.
1: Beautiful, right? It's a it's a I I love that idea, right? We of course have the Torah Shabbatav, the written. Torah that refers to to the Bible to the to, to the books of Moses and the writings of the prophets and the stories of, of uh, you know of, of Esther and Ruth um, and then we have the Torah Shelba Alpe which is which is the oral Torah the writings of the rabbis um, and you what, what's your name Chana, Chana has made um, an interesting point which is we, you might have thought that the first half was the Torah Baalpe those were the more traditional sources of Say of of a Hasidic writer or, or of or things that come from from liturgy, Bachana is saying no. Actually, these writings, right? These writings of survivors, of partisans, of poets. These two are also part of that of that great tradition of a torasha, of torasha Belpa I think that's a, a beautiful way of of characterizing this this body of work. Um, the next song that I want to sing is is Also comes from one of the ghettos, comes from the Warsaw Ghetto, which was was like the city of New York in terms of its vastness and diversity of Jewish life. You have political affiliations and also religious um, affiliations. You had many different types of, of, of synagogues and schools, and this was a song that was actually sung on the streets of Warsaw. Right, so we asked, well, how were these songs transmitted, or how were they saved? How did we get them? These were, so- these, these were songs that you heard um, on the streets by a, by a street peddler. Agut Mogun Liba mentioned, "Good morning, dear people. Throw us a piece of bread, and then God will bless you. You will never know from need." I once had a father and mother and three beautiful sisters, disappeared into smoke and ashes, and I'm left here alone. So I turn the barrel organ, and play today for you with courage. For tomorrow in Treblinka, who knows we may become a heap of ash. Hunger is a misery. The road is paved with uh, with Jews, with the de- with dead. Oh Jeden, Jews, children of mercy. Um, I I I just want to live another day. <laughs> Mit heute fazeit is der Brug. O yeden bne achmonim, es will sich noch leben nattog. O yeden bne achmonim, es will sich noch leben nattog. Fun herze bruist afire, fire rages within. Genuguns get kolyet, we shove. Genuguns get kolyet, we shove. Enough of being slaughtered like sheep. O di schweiers und kumt la mir machen aso so take arms let us make an end of our of our situation O di schweiers und kumt la mir machen aso dreig die karten rinken so i stay here turning the barrel organ fash spiel unser leidn und neu playing our pain and distress fash spiel unser Valetet zu gehen in is besser in Kampf fallen tot. For better than going to Treblinka is falling in battle dead. Valet zu gehen in is besser in Kampf fallen tot. This isn't written by a by a partisan himself, right? This is written by a, a street singer, someone who who did write Perish by going to Treblinka. That was his. Um, his end. The song became so popular, though, that it was sung all over the streets of, of Warsaw and was collected by uh, another partisan and poet by the name of Schmerker Kaczyginski. Kaczyginski was um, traveled throughout all the displaced persons camps after the war to collect the poems and and, and songs that were written during this period. He would go to and he compiled them in his own anthology of, of music um, and that's why we have a, so much of the material that we have that we have today uh, but he was also a poet himself and a writer um, himself and so this next song uh, comes from him which is De Mohicane. Mohicana uh,
7: yeah spiritual resistance to a call to arms this
1: is this is a
7: call to arms is it? sure Jews take arms Right. So now he's saying, let's fight.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. The
1: irony is that his end wasn't in fighting. Right. Right? That's, I think, how we view it as spiritual resistance. He's, ca- do he's, he's making a call to arms in front of a tank and machine guns, right? Um, and he's there, right, the impoverished, so I'm saying that act of singing in, in and of itself, and, it, and you're right that here it's singing about, about occult arms, and that's what these next couple of songs actually will enter us more into. I'm saying even those songs, though, those songs, yes, about physical arm resistance, even the singing of those songs is a form of, of spiritual resistance. So this next song comes also comes from Kach- K- this song comes from Kaczyginski, says the letzte Mohikaner, the last of the Mohicans. <laughs> um, I'm, I don't know. I'm in the Wild West. You should be telling me, right? <laughs>
7: how, how did they get to that in the, in the ghetto? He reads a lot.
8: Well, that's. I think that's part of the truth. Is that a lot of these Yiddish writers and poets? They were seculars. They weren't. Were
1: a lot of- some of them were right. Some of them were were socialists and were were Bundists, right? Um, and some of them were very well read. I mean, others like Mordechai Gebirtig, who will read, come from a deeply religious and observant upbringing. But but they were they were rather literate. And while the American press did not, um, you know, was it did not really publish what the atrocities of what was going on, the Yiddish press very much knew what was in in America. Knew what was happening so there was always a dialogue um, happening between the Jews of Eastern Europe and the Jews in, in, in the States uh, but yes very much an American image right the from these ghetto prison walls into the free forest instead of chains on my hands, I carry a new rifle from this day on I am one with my weapon. We are few in number, but we count for millions we explode bridges brigades the fascist will tremble when Jews partisans storm from under the earth. Uh, the fashion. Um, sorry, where was I? A word like revenge has meaning when you're willing to write it with blood. We strike before sacred days dawn, and no, we shall never become the last of the Mohicans. We bring sunshine to the night. Jews partisans. So again, right, that tension of a rallying call to arms, right? Exactly, right. But also, right, and Epkechinski, who wasn't only a partisan, was a poet, right? This was how their Message was um, traveled through camp to camp, through forest to forest. Fundigetos <speaking> die in die Welt der Freie, anstatt Katen auf die Hent, Haltabix anein, dem auf die Eufgabis mein Freund, Kusch mich also nach so, mit den bin ich von Hind fest zu neuf gewachsen. We nix mir in so drei wie Millionen, reissen mir auf Bag und Toll, bricken den Schalonen, dem Faschist Fazit et Wert, weiss und warnen, stürmen ihn von unterdreht, jeden Partisanen, s Wort nit komme wenn mit Blut verschreibst im. Fadem Helegin Bagin, Firn, me distraiten. Nain me well nit, cane bosin, de lets dem oikane. But end the Nacht is unen shine, de jeder partisane. Nain me well nished, cane bosin, de lets dem oikane. But end the Nacht is unen shine, de jeder partisane. Right, and again, note a glaring absence in these songs which was not as absent, even if it was raging and on trial, right? But it's God, right? Okay, I am almost. I want to do one more song and then maybe a poem. So we're, unfortunately, we'll skip uh, the, the partisan lead here, which became the anthem. It was so popular, actually, that it became a song among some of the first fighters for Israeli independence. Uh, so, mid-kein molaz du geistem let's in right? Um, that's probably one of the more, more popular uh, songs. But this is a song that's, also, that's not quite as known um, that comes from a legendary Yiddish folk poet named Mordechai Gebirtig. His songs were so popular, they were sung on both sides of the Atlantic during the first two world wars. And um, his songs really, you know, he, he's, he has an ex, had an expansive career. They paint a vivid picture of what Jewish life looked like in Eastern Europe. That was a lot of what my... Lecture was earlier today, in describing, you know, encountering Jewish history through, through song. Um, but uh, Giebertig did not survive; he was murdered in the Krakow ghetto. But this song um, is one of his last songs, um, and it's written. T- it's the style of a Hasidic uh, nigun, sort of a, a with a fervor, a melody with of, of fervor. So, you, and you'll, while God isn't um, mentioned, I don't think God is mentioned explicitly here. There's quite a, a uh, a bit of a biblical motif. So you'll see if you can catch um, all of his references. And on the bottom of page nine. Yiden zol z'in freyloch, sh'ain et lang ich hoff, Jews be happy, it won't be long, I hope. S'echt bal melchomes, kum bal z'yes, so the war will soon be over and their end is, is coming. Freyloch non net z'og, nun net arum gein trieb. Uh, cheerful, just don't worry, don't go around so sad. Hot geduld so have patience, have faith, da 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 only patience and faith. don't let them go from your hands. This is our oldest of of weaponry. Was halton's gobanand, which binds us together, holy atans talyonim? So revel, dance, uh, butchers, hangmen. it long ichov. It won't be long, I hope. Given amolah hamen. There once was a Haman. Esvata varzain sof. His end awaits you as well. Esvata sein sof. Ay da ay da da I die, I die, I die, I die, I die, I die. so revel, dance, hangman. Leiden, can I ye? Jews can take pain. Svetischwester arbet, the most difficult of, of labor and tasks. Uns vet uns mal machen, meed, will never make us tired. Ken soll sein Kern, sweep, so we'll sweep. But the sweeping is in vain. It'll never become clean here. Wash will wash. Cain's red mark, the blood from Abel's heart, you can't wash that away. Washen soll sein washen. Cain's rote fleck. Hevels blut von Hatzen, das wash sich nicht Treibt uns chase us from our homes, Schneid uns ob die bed, and cut off our beards. Jeden soll sein Freilach Jews be happy, me hobben ze in dread, let them go to hell. Me hobben ze in dread, I die, I let a die, me hobben ze in dread, I die, I did a die, did it, die, die, die. It's Krakow 1940s. Um, these songs, I hope, give a sense of of that type of vibrancy of Jewish life that existed uh, for many so many years before the destruction, the Churban, as it's called in Yiddish, the Holocaust. Uh, I, growing up speaking Yiddish, I never understood. Um, I never understood, you know, the the mantra of Yiddish as a dead or dying language, because it was the language, you know, that I spoke with my grandparents, it was the language that, um, but it was also the language of, of these songs, uh, and I always felt that it was odd um, when Holocaust Remembrance Day came around, whether it was a Kristallnacht or Yom HaShoah or whatever, whatever uh, day it might have been, um, that the focus was solely on how Jews died and not also on how Jews lived. And wasn't that an unfortunate uh, way of um, unintentionally finishing Hitler's work, which is to say this is the story, and the story is focused on the mass uh, murder, but not of the thousands of years of vibrant Jewish life that existed um, before uh, the Nazis came to power. Of course, that moment in history is, is, is most important to know, but in terms of spiritually honoring I think the memory of, of of the life that was, we need to encounter the life that was, and so that's what some of these songs I think get at and that ethos is really felt um, at least personally for me I mean you have you can take your take your pick whether it's living, whether it's the creativity of these Jewish songs, whether it's you know the raid re- the the, 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 the going back and forth between rage and redemption towards God. But for me, it's really exemplified in this last piece, which is a song that was written by an orphan 13-year-old boy in the displaced persons camp. Um, This is his bar mitzvah speech. I ask that my father and mother look down from heaven and see that I am becoming a bar mitzvah today. And I want them to know that through everything... My sister and I remained good Jews, and we will always be so. Ich bet as der Tate und der Mame so na unten von Himmel und sehr wie ich war, aber mit heint. Und so, wissen as die Schwester und ich This haunting melody that he composed, this 13-year-old kid, um, in honor of his Bar Mitzvah. So, my friends, that's that's in in honor of uh, Kristallnacht, um, and in honor of, of... you know, the massacre that took place in Pittsburgh just uh, a week ago, uh, we've tapped into the ethos of um, of Am Yisrael Chai, of what allows the Jewish people to, I think, to continue living um, in the face of such unspeakable horror and tragedy. And that's this, uh, the, the unquenching human spirit, right, the indomitable human spirit that I, I think is, you know, Exemplified in these songs and prayers, um, so I'll pause here or interrupt rather for, for questions or comments. Yes, sir. That's well,
3: not a question. It's more of a statement. Sure. When we were in um, we were at we were in the camps, and we were in Warsaw ghetto, etc. And we went to shul was it in Krakow, or, or? Krakow. We went to shul in Krakow on a Shabbos morning, and it was a bar mitzvah. The boy and the family were from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. They had their bar mitzvah in Krakow. Right. His grandfather, who was a survivor, who was in the Warsaw Ghetto and said he was a survivor uh, in um, Krakow, and he spoke in Polish to the c- congregation.
1: The bar mitzvah boy? No. Or the grandfather.
3: grandfather. And the boy spoke in English wow. and talked about the continuity grandfather I've never had his poor mid space. Never had his boy oh, speak wow. because wow. at, and it was just very moving. And then they had a big kiddish afterwards that we were all invited to. Lovely. And uh, it was just really moving. And uh, I think that at the Kiddish during the service the boys spoke and maybe I don't know. It was the, right it was well, yeah. the at the Kiddish the Kiddish the grandfather spoke in Polish to yeah,
4: because there were some Polish people there. I
1: mean, that's that is the power of, of ritual, right? Whenever you're under a wedding canopy, you're you're thrust back to if if you've been blessed to you know be, be, to have been married, you're thrust back to remembrances, hopefully positive ones of your own uh, of your own chuppah. Uh, it's the power of ritual in a way, which binds uh, which binds generations. You know, I think that that right that's, that's you know how many survivors who were not who did not say cast off the. The yoke of of religiosity found it to be an enduring statement of of defiance, right? Which is, but uh, of course, there was this, a variety of of reactions to how to live with with one's Judaism in the face of such you know in the heels of such tragedy. Yes.
6: Well, just came back from China last week mm-hmm. and spent three or four hours in the. Jewish
1: ghetto
6: and synagogue there. And it was really one of the most emotional experiences that we had while we were there.
1: What was so emotional about it?
6: Well, the fact that the Chinese people were so open to a group of people that they really had absolutely no knowledge of.
1: Right. And just one
6: individual in the upper government at that time, who was in charge of um, accepting visas. Right,
1: Sugihara, Chuna Sugihara. Yeah.
6: Saw that that a group of people were demanding to be let in. Yeah. And without much questioning, he didn't have to falsify anything or go underground or anything. Yeah.
1: Sugihara became known, you know, as sort of as, as the as the Chinese uh, Schindler, exactly. right? It was yeah. one of, and who Yad Vashem <laughs> named as one of the the righteous uh, Gentiles. The Gentiles, right? He was, ja- he was he was Japanese. Japanese. He was Japanese. Yeah. Yes.
6: But um, it's it's uh, to go through the Jewish section where they lived, although
1: yeah. they were very poor, yeah. and so forth. Um, they
6: maintained all of their Jewishness. Yeah. The war yeah, was
1: over. there was actually a Jewish community already in place that welcomed, that really welcomed there, a Sephardi yeah. Jewish community in place. In
6: Kaifeng, there's an ancient Jewish community, yeah. but, but we were very moved by how warm the poor people in the neighborhood were to the Jews that were there that had really nothing to offer mm. themselves except their kindness. And
1: yeah. That's interesting because I, uh, you know, my grandfather spent the war years there. He was he was he was the librarian at the Jewish library there. And from what I've read, the the communities were actually very separate: the Jewish community and the and the local Chinese community. The Jewish community who was there at the time was very warm and welcoming to them, but the 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 refugees who came actually were not very much engaged with. Yes, one
2: part of the reason the Chinese were actually suffering even more than the Jews were under Under the Japanese.
1: Under the Japanese, right. Yeah, there was a whole other political context at play. Yes.
2: and um, So it was almost like a double misery kind of thing. (laughs) Um, So that was sort of part of the reason where they really didn't pay that much attention to the Jews. They had much bigger problems with the (laughs) the Japanese.
3: Right. We, we other? were
0: in the Shanghai getaway too. And we found it very,
1: very really We were there for, I don't know, five, six hours. It was just yeah, place. that's how we felt. Any other questions or cl- Rabbi. I've got a
0: bunch but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh But to sort of start off, um, uh, so we used to talk, I mean, we're talking a lot at UDM about how the two greatest uniters of Jews in the second half of the 20th century are now two of the greatest dividers, right? That Israel was a great uniter today is a great divider among the Jews, and um, and the Holocaust also. That today, predominantly, there's a conservative bend for Holocaust memory to be about strong military in Israel, and there's a strong liberal bend to be about anti genocidal universalistic network. And if it goes in one direction or the other, half the room feels alienated or the other. So the Holocaust is used politically by the far right and the far left for very different political motives, uh, and, and, and beyond the far right. And far left. So what you did tonight was not, not politicizing, but just sort of sitting with the stories and sitting with the songs, and I think that's hard for a lot of people to do because it, there's a there's a deep impulse in us is I gotta do something after I feel all this stuff, right? So I wonder, um, I, like I wonder, uh, do you think that Holocaust generally should be politicized, um, and what do you think the value is of, of a night like tonight, and, and not to not take it
1: one of those directions? It's, it's such an interesting question, Rabbi, because, you know, the, often in the wake of tragedy, um, the, this conversation comes up again, which is, you know, uh, even Pittsburgh, right? People feel Pittsburgh has become politicized, and I've always been of the mind is, you know, that I'm not really sure what we mean by it, that word, because... This is, while these are deeply human stories, this is, this is lived politics. This is the result of lived politics. Um, and so was the massacre um, in Pittsburgh. So I don't, I don't really understand when we, when we try to uh, differentiate political realities from the emotional, spiritual realities. Of course, right, there might be voices on, the, on either ends of the spectrum who might try to pull it further into their particular narrative... But these songs and stories exist in their own political narratives of them uh, of themselves, so that 's why I think it's, it's important to um, to encounter them um, and hopefully they can be infu- we, hopefully we can live integrated spiritual religious, and political lives where it doesn't necessarily uh, feel like oh we're using x tragedy or X trauma for. For 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 a particular cause, but it's more in the minds. It's a more under a, a um, it's a more I, I guess integrated way of of being in the world. You know, I think the the my grandmother would say, who who was a refugee from Berlin, because I, I traveled to Pittsburgh this past uh, week to go be one of the uh, you know many the many mourners who uh, and comforters of the mourners who went. You know she. And she and her siblings, who witnessed Kristallnacht, um, her she was a baby when she came to this country. But you know, she would say, you know, the main difference between now and then is, you know, then when you called the police, it was to make sure the fires didn't spread to the other buildings, um, right, Which is not the reality of today. In addition to the fact that Jews have allies in such sort st- and political and and various religious. Uh, Networks. But that's not to say that what we're encountering in terms of a resurgence of anti-Semitism is not, you know, deeply unsettling. Um, you know, the, the 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 to ignore the political realities is to ignore ignore life. That's not the, que- the that work will be. You know, each of ours in our in our own way. I think what we can what we can glean from these stories is a focus. Um, on, on life, on the pursuit of life, right, which the Torah emphasizes so deeply, right, of to b'chaim to choose life. Um, it it can be a dissonant charge because it's hard to stay in a in a space of nuance as extremes might, you know, gain greater momentum. But um, I think that's that's part of our work.
5: Could you relate the story of your daughter's recommendation when? <laughs> said that
1: you were you okay, schedule. Eddie has insider info. <laughs> uh, I had just come back from uh, from Pittsburgh uh, earlier that morning, and it was about four a.m. and I had to teach a class in Brooklyn that night. It was an Intro to Judaism course for base, which is the project that I run. Um, it was a class that I co-teach, and I was talking about it with my wife over dinner, saying how I'm a bit exhausted, and our six-year-old Rivaya inserted herself into the conversation. She said, well, your job is to help people. And I said, well, I'm feeling a little bit tired. She said, well, yeah, well, you can't give up. (laughs) (laughs) She said, very matter-of-factly. I think our impulse is to give up more often, you know, over and over again throughout the days. Certainly, given a a hyper-politicized climate, it's hard to see where, where change can might dwell, but, uh, you know, if if these stories give us anything, if the songs and poems, like, can remind us anything, it's, it's, um, it's how that really is not a, an option, at least not a Jewish option. Yes, Rabbi? One comment. One
0: no. okay. Okay. <laughs> One comment is that uh, I think we don't explore enough how traumatized still is. Uh, and how, how much What's that? Didn't hear the words. How traumatized the Jewish people are uh, still. Um, they, say, they say it lasts for seven generations. We're all making close. That's right. From the whole history of it. And um, that we don't look at it and feel it. And I think part of an exercise like this is to, uh, is to sit with it. For a bit. Yeah. I think there's a deep value in that. So, so my question for you, and i will put you on the spot, but I guess that's what you're here for, um, is of all the post-Holocaust theologies that occurred, hmm. So look. Yeah. That, so just a background, yeah you know, basically all of Jewish theology was rewritten after the uh, or or uh, taken to a new uh, uh was amplified. Yeah. None of it was untouched.
1: You know, I don't know if this falls into a particular school of thought, but um but what what resonates for me is I think of you know God in the context of, of the Shoah, and also now, um, is really you know, um, the idea of God betocha arafel. You know, there God amid in, in the the midst or midst the the fog, as it's referred to in the Torah. When when the Torah is given over in the Bible, um, that God is there in that intense um, fog. Uh, it can be in, in insanely difficult to see God's presence there but um you know it's it's like Mr. Rogers would say when you when when and faced with tragedy always look for the helpers right so how how what's the you know and I don't know that 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 is a a shift in terms of how God operates in the world but more it's rather how we relate to 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 sort of God's presence in the world um
8: out in the world making a difference. Yeah. So it's definitely translated yeah. to that yeah. uh, in many ways. But I think what you showed us here, the other part is how do we live life through these songs and poems and, and some of them being a little on the uh, sarcastic side yeah. or yeah. whatever.
5: family, which was last Passover, when your father, Zalman, and I were walking to Show on the first day of Pesach. And I had pulled out an article from Hadassah magazine about what's his name? Sugihara. Sugihara. And he explained to me how Zalman's father was one of the lucky 2,500 yeah. that got a visa that got him on the, yeah. the Trans-Siberian Express. Yeah, yeah. And so I said, had no idea that you were related to this situation, and I was going to bring it up at the Second Seder. Mm. So if I start mentioning, would you like to share your personal story of your dad? Lovely. So we shared
1: that on Passover. Yeah, yeah. Passover, right? Of course, an opportunity as as we know, right, from from our sources, is an op- an opportune moment to recall that um, that struggle of battling pharaohs, modern day pharaohs and, and the like.
5: Um, and Yiddish lives on and I can witness it because Fiddler on the roof is very, <laughs> very well in the
1: right. York and Yiddish. That's true. Thanks, Eddie. Um, yeah. you know, my father my my grandfather, my father's father was he was a survivor, refugee, and he did not speak much of his wartime experiences. It's, you know, his sister did, and sister who survived in Siberia, and um, his brother, Avram, after whom I'm named, wrote family uh, remembrances, but he didn't speak much of it. But my, my his father... Um, who my father is named after, was a malamed. He taught Judaic studies, and he also taught mathematics and astrology. And if you were to see a picture of him, he looks like just another ultra-Orthodox you know, Jew with a long beard. But um, his wife oversaw the family sewing business, and their kids were Zionists and communists and bundists, secular, religious. I try to imagine you know, what the discourse around their Shabbos table must have sounded like, which for me is very much what, uh, the vision of, 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 what, of what the Jewish table need look like. Um, but, um, yeah, he, 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 his, is, his is also a tragic story. You know, he hung himself on a cattle car on the way to Treblinka, purporting to have said, you know, in Yiddish, and they won't take us alive. They won't take me alive. And I think that's also another piece to, to, to glean, which is if we can hold on to the humanity of just the, of the individual voices of the singers or the lyricists or the authors... Um, that right, as opposed to six million, 11 million, right um, that is also a way of, of living with this in a, in a much more um, I think you know, engaged way. Uh, anyways, thank you for coming. Thank you.